Well, hey, thanks for being part of worship uh, today here in the room, there online. Thanks for joining us there. And if this is your first time with us, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. And what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks, let me just say there are three words that strike fear in the hearts of many people's lives. Some of us, we read these words and we just sit and stare at them for a moment and we sweat a little bit. But when you buy a grill at the hardware store, those three words are there. When you order a crib for your child online and it arrives, those three words are staring at you. It's interesting to me that there are other people who don't have that fear at all. When it comes to cars, I have a friend named Tim, and he takes them all the way down to nothing, 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 all laying on the floor. You wouldn't even know it's a car. And he puts them all back together again. It's kind of impressive. But usually we lean one way or another because those three little words are some assembly required. And all of life is that way, right? Actually, most of life, at least, is some assembly required. The reason I'm sharing that this morning is because so is our faith. It doesn't just happen to you. You don't just sit in church once a week and bingo, bingo, bongo, you're a follower you know, of Jesus. Paul would write to Timothy. He would say, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and life to come. So I just want to make sure you get what he's saying. Physical training is of some value. We all know that, right? Lifting weights, cardio, yoga, martial arts, training, running, swimming, all of those have benefits for your body. We know that taking a walk is a lot better than just sitting around watching TV all night, right? Uh, although, right, surprisingly, you don't get better in better shape watching ESPN all day. It would be nice, but that's not the way it works. Paul says the same thing is true of our faith. In other words, with our faith, there is some assembly required. Now, I want to be real clear. This is not about earning your salvation. You cannot do that. The Bible tells us very clearly that we are saved by grace through faith, not by anything that we've done. It's not anything that we do that saves us. Jesus saves us. But for those of us who have already given our lives to Jesus, what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, these habits help us become more like him. And by the way, if you've not yet given your life to Christ and you want to talk about that, I'm going to be right up here afterwards. I would love to set up a time that we could, we could talk about that uh, more fully. So what helps us grow as disciples of Jesus? That's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. And today, we're looking at the number one growth, spiritual growth catalyst. Nothing else helps you grow in your walk with Christ like what we're talking about today. There, there are other things, but number two is distant compared to this one, what we're looking at today. So check this out. Mark chapter 3, going to be on the screen if you have your Bibles with you. Also in the version notes, uh, you'll find the notes for this morning. But Mark chapter 3, we read, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those that he wanted, and they came to him. We're talking about, by the way, and we're about to find out, we're talking about the choosing of the 12, right? The 12 apostles. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And these are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Sons of Thunder. But can you imagine what must these guys have been like? It would have, that would have been awesome and scary all at the same time to have them around. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, 
uh, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who would betray him. So Jesus comes to this very important moment in his life and work. So a little bit of context. He has already emerged with his message. He's already on the scene. This isn't the first thing he did. He had chosen his method. He'd gone through Galilee preaching and healing. So he'd already done some of those things. And by this time, he had already made this considerable impact uh, on the public mind. But Mark is showing that Jesus decided how he was going to move forward. That's what we're looking at this morning. From the thousands and hundreds that would would follow him, he chose 12. Which, by the way, begs this question. I don't know if if you've read this passage before, if it's the first time, or if you've read it a hundred times before. Uh, I hope you've stopped and, and asked yourself, why would he do that? Why didn't he just keep getting big, you know, fill stadiums or something like that? Why didn't he just do stuff like that? Why did he choose 12? I'll only tell you why he didn't choose them. He didn't choose the 12 because of their faith, because their faith often faltered. He didn't choose them because of their talents and ability, because none of them really had an unusual ability. They didn't, didn't have any greater leadership ability than those who weren't necessarily chosen as part of the 12. They did all share one characteristic, though. They were willing to obey Jesus. Not perfectly, but when they blew it, they came right back to him. Being a good follower of Jesus is simply a matter of following him with a willing heart. And by the way, these weren't even great men. They were just ordinary men that God used to do extraordinary things through them. So why did Jesus call the 12? Let's look back at our verses, verses 14 and 15. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. What's the first thing you noticed? I mean, for some people, the first thing they look at that is, ah, I wonder, he sent them out to preach, which, by the way, is a great answer because, boy, did they preach. I mean, they spoke to individuals and they spoke to families and they would talk to religious leaders and they spoke to small groups and large crowds of people. And maybe that's what caught your eye. He sent them out, he pulled these 12 together so he could send them out to preach. Or... Maybe you picked up on this next phrase. You went to drive out demons because that seems pretty cool. Uh, uh, And we know that Jesus did this, right? Uh, uh, Jesus cast a demon out of a little boy. He cast a demon out of a little girl. In church, they gathered for church and he cast a demon out of a guy right there in church. Can you imagine how exciting that day must have been? And a little bit scary, I would think, you know, watching him do that. But we know Jesus did that. The apostles would do that as well. So, I mean, if that's what you're thinking, you have certainly caught what God did through the apostles to help affect change in hundreds and thousands of people's lives. As you read in the book of Acts, we read that they turned the whole world upside down. But look back again at at verses 14 and 15. That's what God did through them. But before he could do anything through them, here's what is first and may be overlooked as we read this passage, and what I think for many of us is difficult, struggle to maintain. I know sometimes I fight to maintain this, but he appointed the 12, designating them apostles that they might, what? Read those words that are in yellow in front of you, that they might be with him. So I put this in the notes because it seems so obvious that sometimes we might miss, trip over the obvious. Before God could work through them, he had to work in them. William Barclay, uh, who would write commentaries about Scripture, said Jesus had to choose certain men on whose hearts and lives he could write his message and who would go out from his presence to carry that message abroad. 
When John was writing his gospel, telling the story of Jesus and his ministry, in chapter 3, we read that Jesus and his disciples went out into the countryside where he spent time with them, and they baptized people. The word that we translate uh, spent time with them literally means rub through the skin. That's the kind of time. He was spending time with them. So I put this in your notes as well. Before he affected change through them, he affected change in them. And the same thing is true of us today. If we want God to work through us, we have to allow him to work inside of us before God affects change in your home and in your neighborhood and in your workplace and in your family and in your school or here at MCC. He has to affect a change in you. And he does that by being with you. Here's why that's so important to understand. Jesus, early in his ministry, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, uh, 6 and 7, he says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Today, we might say something like, I was a greeter at the door. I made people feel well. I, I, I taught in our children's ministry. I was with our student ministry. Did, I, I went on mission trips for you. I preached for you, Jesus. I gave money. I attended regularly. I invited people. All good things that we're supposed to do, right? And Jesus continues and says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, what I want to make sure that you get right out of the chute, Jesus is in the middle of a conversation when he has that, when he says that, but what he wants us to know and really the question that he's kind of asking us is, do you love being with me more than you love doing things for me? Do you love just being with me more than singing songs to me once a week? Do you love being with me more than you love hearing someone tell a story about me? Because in our walk with him, as in any other relationship that we have, there is some assembly required. And it starts with time with him every day. And I know, I know, I know, I know that's not easy. I know that. He's kind of hard to see. Uh, he most likely will never hear his voice. He's difficult to invite over to dinner. I get all of that. So how do we do this, right? So the next few weeks, again, we're going to help with that. We're going to talk about all these things that help us build our relationship, help encourage that and grow that. But today is the number one discipline. Now, supposedly, Will Rogers said this, I read, the, I read the Bible every day to know what God's up to. I read the newspaper every day to see what people are up to. And I think those are both good, although I'm not really sure I believe what I read in the paper. But uh, at any rate, I do believe what I read in the Bible. Practically speaking, what does that look like in my 21st century life? In the notes. So simple. I just want you to miss it. I spend time with Jesus through his word. Okay. Now, this morning, what I'm going to do as we walk through this is I'm going to give you a strategy, a, a strategy with God. Uh, and I want to make sure you get this is a, a strategy, depending on how you want to say the letter A. I want to make this real clear. God is God. He doesn't just speak to you one way. And he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, wherever he wants, however he wants. That's why he's him. He can speak to you at any time in any way. And what I'm going to talk about is just a strategy, and this, this is my strategy, and it has changed over the years, but this is what my current schedule allows me to do, and yours may look different, 
And that's okay. But what's important is that you are growing in your spending time alone with God every day. And so for some of us who are here this morning, some who are watching online, listen, this may be the first time you've ever tried something like this. You're new. You're new. You're not even, I mean, you're not even, maybe you've not made a commitment to Jesus yet. And you're still trying to figure it out. And this is going to help you. But you're, you, 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 quite frankly, the Bible scares you a little bit. I mean, you, you, you don't know your way around it. And you're glad that we put scriptures up on the screen. And you're glad that we do the U version because you don't know your Genesis from your Revelation. And that that was supposed to be a joke. Uh, <laughs> evidently, I'm the only one who laughed at that. Okay, for others. Listen, this is something you've been at for years. You've done this. As a matter of fact, you can turn right to these chapters and right to these verses in your Bible. It is a well-worn Bible by, because it's been well-read by you. And when we open up a text, you generally know where we're going before we even get started because you're familiar with this. And so for you, this might be a fresh look at a time-proven part of your day. But for all of us, this is about carving out time to listen to God. God wants friendship with us. And if we set aside time to listen, God will speak to us through his word. So there are a couple of parts to my strategy. Uh, in the notes, again, this is, this is how I do it. You figure it out for yourself, but uh, what works best for you. But here's what I do. I choose a place and a time. That's the first part of my plan. I have to have a place and a time. When you set an appointment with somebody, a doctor or a mechanic, whatever, what is always true of the appointment? You always have two very specific things, right? You have a place and you have a time. Why is that important? Well, let me start with the place. Why is a certain place important? The place is important because environments are important. Some environments are better for listening than other environments. Let's say you called up and said, you set an appointment and said, hey, I would like to really come over and talk to you about something that's going on in my life. It's really important. This is big to me. And I said, okay, man, I would love to. Listen, I'll tell you what, there's a movie that I've been wanting to see anyway. Why don't we meet down at the theater? We'll go to that movie and you can kind of tell me about it in between like the crazy parts of the movie, right? What would you think? <laughs> yeah, because there are some places that are better for listening than others. The Bible says that Jesus would go into the wilderness, It was his custom. He didn't just do it once. It was his custom to go into the Garden of Gethsemane. There were times he wanted to be alone with his disciples, and so they would withdraw from crowds of people. Why is that? Because there are some places that are better for listening than others. We listen better in some places than we do in others. So find a place to have a time alone with God. Maybe it's your kitchen. Maybe it's your dining room. Maybe it's your bedroom or your spare bedroom. Maybe it's a particular chair. For me, it's a chair in a room. But there's something about picking a spot where this can happen, a place where you have few distractions and it's quiet and you're by yourself. And what you're saying to God is, I'm so committed to you and spending time with you and being with you that I will make this a priority for me. I would also suggest that you pick a time. And I say that because I know there are times of the day that are not good for me. A couple weeks ago, we went on vacation and Sandy and I just relived what we know is true of me. Uh, we get up at 5.30 or 6 o'clock to leave for someplace, I'm not the one behind the wheel. Because if I'm trying to leave Miamisburg at 5.30 or 6, at 8 o'clock, we're still in Miamisburg somewhere because I can't find my way out of here at 5.30 or 6. But by 7.30, 8 o'clock, you put me behind the wheel. I'm good for the rest of the day, no matter how long that day lasts. The best time to talk to me is usually, just so you know, between 10 and 9. I spend, I start most of my days very quietly. I do a lot of my reading 
and writing and preparing before 10 o'clock. I rarely will be with people before 10 o'clock. I do that by myself. Uh, And the same is true in my relationship with God. There are times for you and I both when we're better listeners. Now, can God speak in different places in different times? Absolutely. He's with you all the time. You're never not with him. He's with you in your car. He's with you at work, at school. He's with you all the time. He's never not with you. But for a consistent conversation with him, better to have a time and a place where you can listen to his voice. Now, here's the second reason to set a specific time. What happens when you say to someone, hey, we need to get together? And they say, yes, we do. And you say, okay, then we will. And then they say, yes, we will. We will get together sometime. When are you going to get together? Never. It's not going to happen because it's not on your calendar. When we schedule things, things happen. If you're serious about spending time alone with God, especially if you're not used to it, set a time when you're going to do that. Put it on your calendar. Write it down because if you try to just squeeze it in, listen, in our busy lives, we are all people that are on the go all the time. You try to squeeze that in. Guess what the first thing? What gets squeezed out of your life first? It's relationships with your spouse, with your children, and with your father. Those will be the first things to go because you're busy. So select a spot on your schedule and a corner of your world and claim it for God. Maybe for some of you, uh, like for me, in Psalm 88, in the morning my prayer comes before you. Others prefer, as David did in his prayer, he said, may my prayer be like the evening sacrifice. Others prefer encounters during the day. Psalm 55 says, evening, morning, and noon, I cry out. Listen, there's no particular time that's best. It's whatever works for you, right? For me, it's first thing in the morning. Because here, what, I think, what happens with me is, if it's the first activity I'm involved in, if, I, if it's me opening God's word, it reboots me mentally, It recalibrates me spiritually for the things that are going to be happening that day. Some I know about and some I don't know about. And I say, God, I am looking to you first. I got a lot of things going on. You know what? I may miss lunch today. I may have to move appointments around because my day gets crazy. I may go until 10 or 11 or 12 tonight because what's going on is so nuts. But I want to make sure that nothing interferes with my listening time with you. And I would just say this, for those of you who are morning people, not a problem, right? Uh, But for those of you who are not, look, eventually you do get up, right? At some point in the day, you are going to get up, right? And you do have to do something first when you get up. Wake up 15 minutes early. Make that your time with God. Start your day with him. It sets the direction for the day. So here's the second part of my strategy here that we're talking about today. I grab a Bible, my Bible, paper, and pen, uh, usually a highlighter. Uh, Mark Twain said, those who don't read their Bible are no better off than those who can't. I would say, you're no better off than those who don't even have one. Uh, there are all kinds of reading plans to follow. There's a one-year Bible. There's chapter, or a chapter a day. The version has all kinds of reading plans that go from three years to, to finish or the whole Bible in one year, uh, down to three days. You choose what works for you. And others that you know, especially if you're using the YouVersion Bible app, by the way, if you have friends on there, they can see what you're doing. And you can encourage and hold each other accountable that way. And I've told you this before. I just want to remind you again that when I see, you know, I follow people on on, uh, the, the Bible plan. And when I see what you're reading, it encourages me. Not, it's not what you're reading that's encouraging me. It's that you're reading 
that encourages me. Uh, Romans 12 says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? How do we have our mind renewed? It's by what we put into it. And so spending time in his word, then, or that's when, or because you have done this, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Listen, if you've read portions of the Bible before, even the whole Bible, I want to encourage you maybe to read a book at a time. Not necessarily. So the Bible is 66 books, not just one book, but 66 books. Just read one of them. You don't have to read the whole thing all at one time, but just stick with one story all the way through. Uh, uh, I, I do both, by the way. Uh, for me as a leader, I believe it's helpful for me to read the whole Bible through in a year. And so I'm, I've got two, re, uh, two plans I'm doing that with. This is one of them. It's just one of them. Uh, the other is on the U version. Uh, but at night, I, I realized my need just to sit in the Gospels. And so what I began to do was I began to read through the Gospels in a quarter. And so every night, it's a chapter of the Gospels. And that's just for me. Listen, if you've never had a time like this, may I suggest that you begin with the Gospel of Luke. It's the third book of the New Testament. And read through the entire book of Luke. And you will uh, hear Jesus' birth story. Very familiar. You'll recognize it right away. And then you'll meet other people because Luke is a storyteller. You could go to James, one of the most practical books. It's at the end of the New Testament. First Timothy, toward the end of the New Testament. Good advice for a young man. Genesis, you can read about the beginning. Uh, Exodus, you can read about Moses and the Ten Commandments and some familiar stories. Esther and Ruth in the Old Testament, great stories about what God has done through the lives of women to change history. The book of Numbers in the Old Testament, if you're an accountant, I'm kind of kidding there. Uh, you really have to be diehard when you're going to go there, okay? So uh, choose, choose how much you will read. You figure it out for you. My plan won't necessarily work for you. You find your plan and how God speaks to you. Uh, and when you read, ask yourself, these four questions are all on the notes, so you can take those home. They'll be on the screen. What does this say? What is this passage saying to me? Uh, uh, what does it mean today? All right, second question, why is this in here? Why would God want that in the Bible? And some of the things that he said, it's going to be super obvious to you. As a matter of fact, there are going to be some passages that will be incredibly obvious and other passages that you are going to be scratching your head about. Ask someone about those. Don't just scratch your head. Put yourself around people who actually are ahead of you in their Bible study. They know a little bit more about you uh, and, and ask questions. Um, there's a reason this is here. If you will take the time to wrestle with it, you will grow in your walk, become more like Jesus. You'll be stretched. Third question, what should I do about it? How do I apply this? It's not just meant to be read. It's not just a great book to read. It's a great book to do. And so do what you find inside of it. How does this work out in real life? And the last question is, how can I remember it? There's some verses you will want to commit to memory. Some of those are verses I pray every day. Others are verses I pray different days of the week. Commit them to memory and pray those back to God. You are saying his word back to him. And that's why I put verses and notes, uh, verses and quotes in your notes so that you can take those home. And you might want to look at those again, or you might, I know there are some folks here who are sharing them with their friends. These four questions keep you locked in shorter passages for longer periods of time. And what God does is he unlocks, uh, he'll lock in on an area and he begins to unlock areas of your life that he wants to work on with you. I, it can be painful. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it just, you're just in awe that God knew that about you 
way back when. I do want to give you this. It's called the clean slate policy. It's not in the notes. Clean slate policy. Don't give up. If you miss a day of reading, don't stop. Don't make it two days. If you miss two days in a row, don't make it three days in a row. If you miss three days in a row, don't let it be four days in a row. Pick back up. Uh, no guilt. No shame. Start with you, where you are. Do what you can do and carry on. Because what's important is that you're spending time with God. That's what this is all about. Paul would write this to the church in Corinth. For I've received what I passed on to you as of first importance, the most important, the biggest deal, the don't miss this. If you miss everything else, don't miss this thing. That Christ died for our sins. Read those next four words with me. According to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. It's the most important thing. This is what our faith is all about. Our faith is all about what Jesus did on the cross for us, how he died for our sins because we had a debt we could not pay. And so he paid it for us. It's what allows us to have a friendship with him. And Paul says this is the most important thing. And it takes us right back to what we ought to be doing each day individually. But for sure, every time we're together like this, we stop together. Because when we come back to this moment and say, this is the most important thing we can know. This is the most important truth we can embrace. This is what changes our lives, begins the process. If we will, right, we recalibrate our thinking, we get it back on track with what is of first importance according to the scriptures, that Jesus died and was raised three days later because it helps me remember who he is. Helps me remember whose I am. It will help you remember who he is. It will help you remember whose you are. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to do this together. This thing where we take time with God that I hope you'll do every day. Let's go to God. Father, thank you. Uh, man, thanks for this family, this community that you have brought together, that we get to come before you and acknowledge that we are not perfect people, that we struggle. It's not that we used to struggle. We still struggle with sin, and sometimes we lose that struggle, and we are so sorry, and we want to, we want to walk with you. So help us, Father, as we come to this moment. We remember, Jesus, that you died on a cross for us, not because you had done something wrong, but because we did. And so you gave your life for our sins. That's the most important thing that any of us in this room can know. Even those of us who have made no commitment to you need to know that you have done that for them and how much you love them. And so, God, in this moment, we just want to, if we've been off track, we want to line right back up with you. We want to recalibrate our thinking. We want to be reminded of what's most important. We want to be, we want to spend time with you as we sing, as we hear, and now as we remember. So, God, thank you for this chance. And we pray this, Jesus, in your powerful name.